0: Welcome to Concept to Cover, a Jenkins Group podcast. This week, we're joining conversation by Jen Singer, a veteran ghostwriter, editor, and writing coach who works with all kinds of professionals, from CEOs to Olympic athletes, fighter pilots to marketing executives, to bring their stories to the page. Welcome, Jen. It's good to talk to you, Leah. Wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be an expert in book ghostwriting.
1: I think, well, I became a ghostwriter the way most ghostwriters become ghostwriters, and that is by accident. I swear that's what happens. We are doing other kinds of writing and then somebody we're working with needs a book and thinks, well, you should give it a try. And That's exactly what happened To me. So about 10 years ago, I wrote an article for Next Avenue magazine about an ex con who was using this particular kind of therapy to get healthy mentally. And I wrote the piece. And then he said, You know, (laughs) I have this book I've been trying to write, (laughs) and he's not a writer, he's in construction. And I took what he had and just revamped it completely and kind of taught myself how to become, you know, a book doctor and the developmental editor at the same time. Now, I had already been a writer for decades at the time. So some of it translates, but I fell into it, is the answer, Leah.
0: Honestly, I have never spoken to a ghostwriter who had any other response other than that. So you're in good company. <laughs> I knew it. everybody said, it just happened that way. I sort of fell into it. I was talking to someone and, and they said I should do it. And I did. And now that's what I am. So Definitely not not an uncommon occurrence.
1: It's not something you go to school for. It's certainly not something you come out at 22 and start doing, generally speaking. But, you know, your experience writing other kinds of things inform this. And then, of course, being a lifelong reader and understanding books certainly helps.
0: So what kind of books do you like to write? Do you have a niche or a genre that you actively work in?
1: My favorite types of books to write for other people are more or less, I'll call them personal growth books by somebody who has done something amazing or had something happen to them that was amazing or bad. And they took life lessons out of that, that they want to teach other people. For instance, I'm doing that right now for a fighter pilot. You know, how how cool is that to be a fighter pilot and to learn things in the cockpit that apply to life? So I've worked with, you know, Olympic athletes. There are people who have, this would be, you know, people who've climbed a mountain or I'm working with somebody who was a Wall Street trader and he got hit head on by a car and is now a paraplegic. So it's overcoming all sorts of things. Those are the types of stories I like to share because I've also overcome
0: some things. So I understand where they're coming from. And you have overcome some major challenges in your life. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure.
1: This also informs, like I said, who I work with and the types of books that I write for myself. But, you know, when I was 40, I had cancer and it was lymphoma. I had a tumor the size of a softball in my left lung. And it was basically my doctor told me later that I was about two months from death and I survived, obviously, I'm here I am. And then in 2020, I got COVID. I was one of the OG COVID, like February 2020. And it, I guess, triggered something in my heart. I was already more likely to get heart failure because of the cancer treatments, but the way I put it is chemo and radiation filled the barn full of dynamite and COVID lit the match. So now I have heart failure and a pacemaker, So I've, like you've said, I've been through some things, but again, still here.
0: And I think that also helps give you credibility when you're talking to an author who has overcome their own odds and they say, this person understands me and they understand where I'm coming from. And I think they feel more comfortable with you knowing that you've had your own struggles.
1: Yeah, that's for sure, because I can meet them on a different level of understanding. I may not have been through the exact same thing they've been through, but to go through that kind of near-death adversity gives me a perspective that other ghosts might not have. So these particular types of authors feel comfortable with me.
0: And so when you get started on a book project with a client, what's the process that you use?
1: Mm. So whether I'm writing... The book or a book proposal, I have the same process at the beginning. And that is to come out with three pieces of content that I call the content essentials. It's a one-page overview, a one-paragraph almost a book jacket description. It's a pared down version of that overview. And then a one line, like a Netflix log line that describes the book. I wouldn't even call it an elevator speech. It's extremely short, almost the big idea of the book. Once we can get the book down to those three things, then everything else can come out of that. And I spend about a month with my authors doing that on Zoom every week, crafting this type of message to make sure we know the bookshelf that it belongs on, who the reader is, wh- what the competition is, all things that you'd need for a book proposal. But even for self pubbers I do the same thing because you need to have this information in order to write the book.
0: Right. And I think that brings focus to a client, too, because sometimes when they start out, their ideas are very wide and they don't understand that they need to narrow it down. And by narrowing it down, it actually opens up the door to a better organization for the book and a better, really, how is this going to proceed? How are we going to make the argument? How are we going to prove our point? It opens that door to just a better organization, a better flow.
1: And I like that you use the word argument because Marion Roach-Smith uses that for memoir. She thinks it should have an argument. It's not just a recounting of what happened in your life you're trying to make a point about a specific part of your life in memoir. And I would venture to say also in many other types of books as well, know what your argument is before you start to argue.
0: Exactly. Because you can't get there if you don't know what it is. And I see a lot of authors trying to essentially put the cart before the horse and they're just talking and talking and talking, but they're not proving that point. They're not making a point. They're just talking. And it just gets to be too convoluted and off track generally. And I think that's what any good editor would step in and say is, whoa, let's pull back a little bit here. We need to better define what this is. And I think one of the key questions that I always ask is, what is the purpose of the book? What do you really want to achieve? here Mm -hmm. doing this work. And then we work backwards from that point in saying, you know, I want to achieve this. I need to tell people about this thing that happened to me and how they can make sure that it doesn't happen to them. Or this is what to do if it does happen to them. Okay, great. Let's work backwards from there. Um, Because otherwise it just gets to be too much of then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Exactly. And I think when people are subject matter experts, they
1: know so much They feel like, oh, I have to tell them this and I have to tell them this and I have to tell them this, which might be true at some point in the book, but that's not the focus of it. It is to explain some bigger message that you need to get across. And so that's why I spend so much time just on that part
0: before I even start writing. Yeah, I think having a good path forward is the key to success really in in working with a client and working on a ghostwriting project, because if everybody doesn't agree on the path forward, then we're all just kind of wandering around going, okay, well, what do we talk about next?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I always ask them, they have to answer these three questions is why this, why you, why now? So why this book? Why are you the author for this book? And why does this book need to come out now? And some clients will be heavy in two of the three and not have the third, which can be a problem. And some may just have one, in which case they might not be ready to write a book. But if you have all three and can answer that well, you've got a good shot.
0: And so do you ever have people that can't do it and they say, Oh, well, geez, maybe I'm not ready for this. And do they then walk away or do they walk away briefly and figure it out and then come right back? Or do they just disappear forever and say, Oh, never mind, maybe I wasn't meant to do this?
1: So that's where I start my you know initial call before we even sign on. If they can't answer that when we meet in the first half an hour then they're not going to work with me. Some of them will go off and, you know, if it's why this is the problem, that's a huge problem because then why does the book need to come out? They will start rethinking that, recrafting, maybe change their audience, maybe change their argument, and then come back. The why you part, you know, obviously in memoir, that's clear why you, but in other types of business books or whatnot, why you? Why not Adam Grant? You know, if you can't answer that, and also you don't have a platform that matches that, then sometimes they go off and build up their platform or start speaking. So they make the why you part stronger. The why now, sometimes there are evergreen books that can be done anytime, but you've got to find media hooks for it. So they go off and will write an article and get that published somewhere or even just put it on Medium to try and bring it out into the world now and see what kind of response they get.
0: Definitely. So where do you find your ghostwriting projects? Do people come to you directly finding you online or how do they come to you?
1: They have all been coming to me recently in the last couple of years. It will come from either a client that I've worked with before, which is always nice when they're happy enough to send somebody that they know and love to me. Thank you. Sometimes it comes from other writers who don't do books and know that I can ghostwrite or I can book coach or I can developmental edit for somebody because their jobs are not related to books. So they come that way. And sometimes they find me through LinkedIn. They do a search on ghostwriting and for some reason they get to my site and they like what they see and they come to me that way.
0: And so you just mentioned a couple other services that you provide, book doctoring and developmental editing. Tell us a little bit about what each of those are and how you work with clients to help them with those aspects of the project. Book
1: doctoring is really just a backwards engineering of a book that already exists. I had somebody come to me with a 120,000 word memoir and I cut out 40,000 words of it for her, which we called Making Coffee and Walking Lola because it was basically how she got places, how she did things. And a lot of it was walking her dog and making coffee. We didn't need to know that. Just drop them in the scene so I could teach her a little bit about that. And that's what book doctoring does. Developmental editing is the opposite of that when you start from the beginning and do a lot of those, what I just described with the content essentials, figuring out the overall big picture of the book, the chapter outline, and, you know, figuring out what goes where and when.
0: And that is done with a manuscript that already exists or prior to a manuscript existing?
1: It could be either. These things are all related. If I call it book doctoring, it really is just developmental editing of a book that exists already. Developmental editing usually is something where we start from scratch or they have the beginnings of something or even a book proposal already. And then we are creating the bones of the book from that.
0: Okay. So recently you published your own series of books called Just Diagnosed. Tell us about these books and why you decided to write them.
1: So these are little books, no spine, about twelve to 15,000 words each, and they are created for newly diagnosed patients who go online to what we call Dr. Google and get terrified and <laughs> confused. And the reason I did this is because, you know, I, as I said, I got heart failure and I'm on heart failure groups on Facebook and I would see time and time again, somebody get diagnosed, they go to Dr. Google, they are now terrified because the odds that they find online say that, you know, half of people die after five years, which are old stats And I decided, you know what? I was a medical writer for years. I wrote for websites for hospitals in New York City. So why don't I marry what I know as a patient? Because who better to describe a PET scan than someone who's been inside the machine 14 times. And what I know as a medical writer and put it into an accessible guide for patients. That was the idea. I started with the heart failure book. I have one on sarcoidosis, I'm working on one on lymphoma and leukemia, and then I have two flagship ones. One is How to Be Sick because we're taught how to be healthy but not how to be sick and how to support someone who's sick because people struggle with that all of the time and I've seen people do it for me. I know the best of it all and the worst of it all. And the worst, <laughs> the platitudes. Yes. I share that in there as well what not to
0: do. And what not to do is just as important as what to do.
1: And when you're supporting people, probably even more so, because believe it or not, your words can actually make things worse. You know, I was getting a blood test and the phlebotomist said to me while I'm in the middle of chemo, non-Hodgkin's, that's the bad cancer, right? My father had that. The cancer didn't kill him. The chemo did. That's... Did not help me, but I've been writing about you for now, 15 years. So thank you for the
0: content. Exactly. This is what not to say to someone with that particular illness. Yes. And, you know, one of the things I recommend
1: is don't say if there's anything I can do because that's homework for the patient. Because now the patient has to figure out what you can do that someone else is not already doing that they feel comfortable with. Instead, be specific about things that you can do. Like, I know you have chemo tomorrow. Would you like me to take you there? I know the kids have to get to soccer. Would you like me to take them there? Be specific. Don't just leave it up to the patient to give you assignments.
0: Right. Can I make your family dinner on Tuesday? What, you know, how could I do that? Is there anything you're allergic to?
1: Yeah. In fact, I had somebody my neighbors put together an entire schedule, so I never wound up with three lasagnas in a row. Different neighbors were coming on different nights and I had a schedule. I knew who was coming and I knew what food was coming. It was fantastic.
0: That's amazing. So as a ghostwriter and editor and all the other wonderful things you do, you've got a lot of flexibility with your schedule. How do you plan out a typical week of work? Do you set aside certain days for research and writing or do you have days where you do, I, I try to put all my meetings on this day. How do you schedule your week or a day in particular?
1: Well, if we are assuming that I haven't gone down what I call the shoots and ladders of heart failure where I'm not feeling good, if we're assuming I'm feeling good, then I'm generally done with work by three. And I also start early, especially when I'm on steroids. I start really early. But the reason for that is I got so accustomed to working around my kids' schedules. They're now grown, by the way, that I just I don't think I can work when I'm normally carpooling kids.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your body body just naturally goes, nope, I'm not available at this time. And so you make sure you're not working then. Yes. And the best part about the
1: flexibility is that you can do that. I'm most creative in the morning. So that's when I get most writing done. I'll save all of the you know, billing and things like that for when I know I'm at 2.30 when I'm starting to lose my sharpness, let's say. I don't do any Zoom calls on Fridays. I just decide to leave that either to writing or to going and sitting on a beach. I do live at the Jersey Shore because that fills me back up. I'll be reading books and come up with ideas. That's more of an idea day. Generally speaking, sometimes I do work on Fridays. Sometimes I work on weekends. It just works out that way. But the flexibility, it helped me raise two kids at first as a married mom, then as a single mom. And it helps me work around my health. Some days I'm just not feeling it. And so I can work around, especially with books, because you have
0: such long deadlines.
1: It's really handy.
0: Right. It's not a day-to-day sort of newspaper deadline where it has to be in by 3 p.m. You can definitely push things off till the next day and everything's going to be just fine.
1: Yeah. And I find that I still wind up writing in the back of my head. I can't help myself.
0: It never goes away. It never stops. It's true. What advice would you give to anyone who wants to become a ghostwriter? I mean, I'm sure that it's happened to you and it happens to me. You you come across somebody at a party and they go, I think I could do that. Or young people call me often and say, I really want to do this. How do I do this? Is there some bit of advice you would give to someone who's looking to get into the profession?
1: I'm actually doing that right now. So I was on a podcast called As Told To for Ghostwriters And this young man heard me on there, contacted me through my website and said, I'd like to become a ghostwriter. And maybe there's some way that I could do research for you or interviews so I could learn. And it turns, I Googled him and it turns out this kid was a high school runner at the same time my son ran here in New Jersey. So they ran against each other. (laughs) And I thought, well, let's give it a try. And so for the last couple of weeks, he's been doing that. he does some research for me. And then I set aside an hour each week where he picks my brain and asks me about the business. And I think that one of the ways in for somebody young like that is book proposals. So many writers hate doing book proposals. I like doing them because I'm a marketing nerd, but other people don't. And so if he could learn how to write a book proposal, which I'm teaching him how to do, and some people could teach themselves, get a hold of a book proposal and figure it out and ask other authors questions, ask agents questions, ask editors questions on what they're looking for, then that's a way in because you could help a writer write one and then that writer might not be available to write the book. And look at that. You know all about the book. Perhaps
0: you should be the one to write it. And then it just happens. You stumble into it.
1: That's how everyone gets into ghostwriting. You established that, Leah. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I I think, you know, obviously the other thing you're doing is you're helping him make connections in the industry. You know, he's learning. Obviously, he knows you, but now he's going to have more connections to agents and publishers and just working through you and developing those proposals.
1: I, I just think we should have an apprentice program for young writers, for everything. If you can take somebody on, if you got the time and the money to do it, do it because you're helping somebody else. And don't you wish somebody had done that for you?
0: Exactly. And really, there isn't another path. I mean, there are courses you can take. Myself, I haven't heard of any that are far superior to what you're doing. You know, you're doing real hands-on learning and the courses that I've seen, I don't see them as being anything Akin to what you've done here, actual real hands-on learning experience, yeah. Well, I like to teach, and
1: he's a nice kid. I shouldn't call him a kid,
0: but he's <laughs> well, a nice anybody that's twenty two twenty three they're all they're all kids. We all feel like they're kids. <laughs> it could've been my kid. He's the same age as them, so there you go. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Concept to Cover. Find out more about the show and our guests at Concept to Cover Podcasts, And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Bye for now.